Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Templey. sexual nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes if you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And y'all, today I'm officially beginning a new series, Nanny Not. If you did not listen to the last episode, it was titled Nanny Not Prelude. Got to go listen to it. Before you listen to Nanny Knot, what I'm about to start now, please go back and listen to Nanny Knot, The Prelude. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Please stay tuned at the end of this episode uh, for some big Real Life Real Crime announcements. So the story I'm going to tell y'all picks up from... The prelude of Nanny Knot in the date's going to be July the 15th, 1994. So when y'all hear the story, it will be almost 20, 94, 2 for 14, 20, 27 years to the week that you hear the story that this case happened, okay? That the story began in earnest. So, on this day, July 15th, 1994, it was hotter than shit, y'all, as it can only be in South Louisiana in the middle of July. It would turn out to be a bluebird sky day, and it was just butt hot. Now, the juvenile detective, Linda Steely, with the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, would have gone to work for 8 o'clock in the morning, and she would have gone to her office, and 
did what she did every day, right? So juvenile detectives, y'all, they were separate from regular detectives, and they handled naturally any juvenile case that would come in from a runaway to, you know, kids that got arrested for fighting or burglary or whatever. But Miss Linda would have handled all those crimes that a kid could be arrested for that an adult couldn't, right? like running away and, and, and not listening to your parents and shit like that, plus any anything in between. But on a Friday, and, and I know this because I worked there for so many years on Fridays, that, look, if you really didn't have anything going on, you weren't trying to start anything, right? You're, if you knew you are going to be off the weekend, you kind of— Kind of a little bit on cruise control, and you know, generally they didn't have regular court on Fridays, so that wasn't an issue. That Miss Linda would have got there by eight, and maybe worked on her case file a little bit, or or usually, uh, especially juveniles when they would get there in the morning, they'd have some parents there with their kids, and you know who weren't listening or whatever. Miss Miss Linda may open the file on, or she may not have. But let me tell you about Miss Linda. I ended up working with her until she retired. I was a detective when she retired. And uh, by that time, Miss Linda was like over evidence and pretty much over the detective's office. She was a senior person there. She was a real quiet lady. But when she spoke, she, she has, you, you better listen, right? And, and, and she, she, I think she was more than fair. I think she liked me. I know she liked me, but the, she, she was just, you know, very reserved. Uh, proper lady, if you will. But I didn't know when I started out in detectives that she had handled cases like the one I'm about to tell you about. But she was she was tough, but she was smart, super, super smart. And I can see her now, pr- r- real pretty, uh, tiny lady and she, with the glasses and the short hair. So she, she goes in and, you know, goes through her morning routine. And now every Friday, as y'all may remember from the the episode Cajun Queen on on Fridays, detectives usually order from a restaurant. Usually it was Charlie's and fried fish. Um, so I, you know, about by, by eleven o'clock, you put in your lunch order, and some detective went to pick it all up, and you know, you you'd sit together and eat. But at eleven o nine a.m., the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office dispatch gets a nine one one call from Miss Robin. Populous, a white female, and she is saying, "My baby is missing. My baby is missing." The nine one one call comes in to the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office dispatch. Now, at the time, y'all, their nine one one dispatch was housed inside the jail, not far from the courthouse. Now, in the detective's office, Miss Linda's office, would have been upstairs across the hall from a regular detective's office, which is where I worked. You know, probably a couple miles away from the, there, but they get the call, and it is fr- from Robin Populous, who stated that her baby Matthew Populous is missing. Now, Matthew Populous is a white male. His date of birth was nine twenty six of ninety two, so he was twenty two months old. And she, of course, she's a frantic mom, and she said, "Look, my baby's missing from a house." on George White Road, uh, I need help. My baby's missing. We think he's been abducted. We can't find him. All right. As a 911 dispatcher, you get a call about a baby like that, especially a baby missing, um, you know, you want to hope for the best, uh, but you, you're always prepared for the worst. So well, they would immediately page Linda 
Remember, we didn't have cell phones back then. Paige Miss Linda, because she's the juvenile detective, and gave her the call. And it told Miss Linda, hey, look, you need to roll to this residence on George White Road. Got, got a 22-month-old missing. The mama called in, but it's not her house. All right? So Miss Linda and the detective Pat Haley, and uh, he ended up retiring from the sheriff's office the, the before my time, y'all. But they... All around good guys. So she got him to ride with them. Of course, they had marked units respond to it, and there weren't very many of them back that time. Now, George White Road is off of Interstate 12. If you take the Holden exit, uh, on, you're going to Interstate 12 towards the Tangipoe Parish line or towards Albany, you, know, you leave Livingston, you leave the courthouse, you go up Highway 63, you take a left on the interstate going east. It's five miles approximately from when you get on the interstate, the very next exit is for, they call it the town of Holden, but there's no town. Uh, the exit is for Holden. You get off of Holden on Highway 442, and you take the right, and almost immediately you take a left on the George White Road. And George White Road, especially back then, when I worked at this in Uniform Patrol, it was really rural. You had a house here, house, house there, but it ran, it ran, east to west, just like the interstate did. Basically, from the Holden exit, when you get off and you turn on George White Road, you're you're following the interstate, but it's pretty close together, but there's woods in between. And you can't see, George White Road runs all the way to Highway 43, um, where it dead ends, you have to take a left or a right on Highway 43. And if you take a right, you go to Springfield, you take a left, you go to Albany, and back to the interstate. So it kind of goes, it goes in the, same direction as the interstate, but it goes at an angle to the south, if you will. So anyway, so they're rolling out. They don't know what they got, right? And they going down George White Road, really rural uh, woods, and a house here, a house there, and they get to the location. And once they get there, the Texas Steely gets out, and Haley get out, and they go in. Uh, Why they they meet Robin Populous? the baby's mama outside, and she tells him, you know, she she said, my baby's missing, my baby's missing, and, and, you know, people are out there. Now, when you pull up to this house, y'all, on the same side of the street, but a little bit distance apart, there's a neighbor on each side. Across the street is a big field with a barn in the back of it, like way in the back of it. And and if you're facing that barn, to the left-hand side, there would have been neighbors almost diagonally from this residence. Now, the residence that Detectives Linda Steele and them responded to was the residence of Evelyn McKnight. It wasn't Robin Pop- Populous' residence, okay? So to get out, frantic moms there, you know, cops were on the scene, the neighbors are now have come out of their houses, they're looking, you know, a lot of commotion going on, but what what is... Linda Steele, the detective, have to do. She needs to find out who the complainant is. It's Robin Populous. Meet her. Hey, I'm Detective Steele. You called in about your son missing, and Robin says yes. Now, she's very distraught, and she tells us, she said, look, this is my friend's house. I left my baby over here last night, and da-da-da, just rapid fire. Miss Linda's like, no, slow down. One step at a time. You know, when did you last see your baby? She said, I last saw him last night when... I left him here to spend the night. She said, I all the time leave him here where Evelyn can babysit him or watch him, okay? And she said, okay. So, so she said, Robin said, I was over here 
yesterday evening visiting around five o'clock and I, I went, wanted to leave and Evelyn pretty much begged me, said, let Matthew stay, let Matthew stay. Um, the other kids want to play with him, you let him stay. Well, okay, you know, Robin was like, okay, and gave in and, and left, right? I guess a free night for Robin. Not knocking it at all, y'all. I mean, you get that when you have young babies. So let's stay. And she said this morning around 10-something, I get a phone call from April McKnight, which is Evelyn McKnight's niece, who's like, I think she was like 14 to 15 years old. And she she answered the phone, and she said, Miss Robin, she said, yeah. She says, it's April. She said, yeah, baby, um, what are you calling me for? And she said, did you come over here and pick Matthew up without telling anybody? She's like, what are you talking about? And and she said, she said, did you come get Matthew and, and without telling us? And she said, no. She said, well, we can't find him. Well, holy shit. It, so Robin, you know, it's like, what do you mean you can't find him? So we looked everywhere and we can't find him. She immediately hangs up. She calls the sheriff's office, 911. Now, she had to drive probably six or seven miles to get there. She got there pretty much right in front of when Detective Steely, uh, Miss Linda, would have got there. And so she tells him, she said, you know, I get here and I'm running inside and they're like, we don't know where he's at, okay? And so Detective Steely's like, okay, well, who's in the residence? And she said, Evelyn, my friend, who I let my baby stay with, her three kids, which are, I believe they were 12, I think they were like 12, 11, and 7, y'all. Was Rodney was the oldest. He was 12. Amanda was 11. And Casey was 8, okay? And then the niece that called her, April McKnight, who uh, I think maybe was 14 or 15, something like that at the time, said they, they all live here with Evelyn and her Evelyn's common-law husband, George Easley. But I also had another guy, George, one of George's friends, that's been staying with them since November, and his name's Bobby Jordan. And, you know, Detective Steely's taking it all in. She's like, okay, and that's, you know, what was he wearing? Well, last time you saw him, what was he wearing? She said he was wearing a white shirt, T-shirt, and a diaper when I left him. That's the last thing I saw him with. Okay? So what do you do as a detective at this point? After you t- take the initial statement from mom, you say, hey, just sit right here. You know, let me go. And have cell phones. Let me go call this in. So she went back to her unmarked unit and called it in. Um, now, back then, y'all, they didn't have all the fancy radios and the scramble channels and, and, and stuff like that that they have now. But I can promise you this. When I, even when I worked the streets of Livingston Parish, everybody, it seemed like, especially on the east side of the parish, and remember that parish is split uh, geographically, east and west, for law enforcement reasons. And everybody had a damn police scanner, okay? And they knew what the code was for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. So um, it's like entertainment, especially not only just the, all the firemen and volunteer firemen and all that stuff, but, like, everybody. And, and it just would trip me out. I'd go into people's houses on calls, and, and um, my radio would go off, and I, I'd hear uh, the people speaking in the back room, you know, and it was always because people, I guess, like use it as a form of entertainment or, you know, to keep up with what was going on. But anyway, so when she calls us in, guess what? 
everybody in the parish is going to hear it. So she calls in immediately uh, to dispatch. Says, Listen, we need to put a bolo. Be on the lookout for a white juvenile baby, 22 months old, named Matthew Populus. They described him a white male, last seen wearing a white T-shirt and a diaper. Last known location was this house on George White Road. That's the first thing you do, okay? And then then you got to call for help, okay? And and I guarantee you, Miss Lyndon, she hadn't even been inside yet. She knew this was going to be, yeah, she needed help. So And she would have called in and said, please have, you know, send me some more detectives. And at the time, Kearney Foster, who y'all have heard me talk about so many times, my mentor, was the chief of detectives. So everybody's going to roll out. This before she even gets inside, y'all, okay? And now, at some point, when she gets law enforcement lined out, everybody in the parish has now heard this baby is missing. You have your looky-loos, and then uh, people who don't have anything better to do, they're going to just come, go ride around. But then you had people who are genuinely concerned that a baby's missing, uh, and they know the location that's really rural. So, you know, the fire departments, just everybody's going to get up in arms. But we don't even know anything yet. Right, baby's just been reported missing. So Linda Steely goes into the house and she meets the April McKnight, the niece, and and she talks to her briefly, and and she's like, yeah, we can't find the baby, we can't find him. And so where is she? She wants to talk to Evelyn McKnight, the homeowner, and she goes in the bedroom. Evelyn McKnight's in the bed, y'all, and and she has to go in her bedroom to talk to her because she just had surgery to have her tubes untied, okay? So evidently she had she had been fixed before or had her tubes tied, whatever the fucking proper terminology is, and now she's had the surgery to have them untied. I guess she wanted more than three babies. So she goes in to talk to her, and they say Evelyn is just growing apeshit, crying and carrying on, and now um, they would have kept the mom out of the ring, you know, so... You know, in a situation like this, you try to if you you want to do your first initial interview with everybody as as closed off as you can, and in case you get a different story, right? So somebody would have stayed outside with the baby's mama, Miss Robin, and I think at this time when Linda went in, actually uh, Detective Benita Gill had showed up on the scene. So it's two female detectives now, and uh, Benita Gill, y'all, you heard me talk about her in, in the past. She was. I learned a lot from her also over the years. She was a hell of a detective. But they go in to interview Evelyn. Evelyn's in the bed crying. She can't get up. She's, you know, oh, come on, the baby's missing. That baby was in my care, blah, 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 blah. So they had to They actually sat on the bed with her to start talking to her, say, it's okay, baby, calm down. Well, look, we're going to find out what happened to the baby, where the baby's at. You know, I'm sure the baby just wandered off. You know, I just let's just find out. We need to gather some facts so we can start working this and, and bring the baby home. And so they calm her down a little bit and, and say, okay, tell me what happened. Uh, um, tell me, you know, when's the last time you saw the baby? Tell me the whole thing. Just start from the beginning. She said, Evelyn Knight said that Robin had come over the day before and they were visiting and when she got ready to leave, and she had Matthew with her, the baby, when she got ready to leave, she said, well, why don't you let Matthew stay 
um, you know, the kids love to play with him. And Rodney and my other two love to play with him. And then I, I got April here also. And she's helping. Uh, but, you yeah, know, her common-law husband, George Easley, was there. And George's friend, Bobby Jordan, is there, right? But it's not the first time, y'all, that that Matthew has stayed there. He stayed there so much that they had a crib set up in Evelyn's son's Rodney's room for Matthew. It may have been for other babies too, but I know they had a crib set up for Matthew. So she's telling the text, she said, you know, I, 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 I told her just let him stay, let him stay. And, and it's okay. So she let him stay. What happened next? She said, well, the baby came in my room two or three times to visit with me and, you know, because I can't get out of bed because I just had this surgery. And the baby came in my room two or three times to visit with me. But I know he was out there and he was doing fine. And, and they were watching TV and, and cartoons and stuff. And I know Rodney put him to bed in his crib last night. Okay. She said, I didn't hear him crying or anything like that. Okay. What's next? She said, well, Rodney came in um, and woke me up around 7 o'clock and said, uh, Mama, Matthew woke up in, and it was in his crib and he was awake. He said, so I got him out and I took him in the living room with a blanket and I put him on the floor and I went and I made him a bottle. And I gave him the bottle and I turned on some cartoons. And everyone's like, I was half asleep. It's just like, I was, okay. And and he said, Mama, can I go outside and wash the car? And she was like, what do you want to wash the car? He said, I don't want to wash the car. And she said, well, I think it's supposed to rain. And and he said, well, um, I could pull the car underneath the carport and watch it. Okay, so y'all, when you face the house, they did have a, a single car, carport. It wasn't a garage. This like, you know, some poles uh, with a roof on where a car could pull in. And she had to believe a white grand M, if I'm recalling correctly. But and she was like, "Okay, well, you can go wash it." Said he left, and he came back in, and he told her. He said, "Mama, I moved the car in because uh, it looked like it was going to rain, and I was going to wash it. But but um, then I decided not to wash it, so I moved it back out, and I came back inside. And she said, "Okay, baby," and said. He fell asleep with her. This is sometime between 7 and 8 a.m. So the next thing she knows, April, the niece, and, and the other kids come in the room, and they wake her up. And her son, Rodney, is still in the bed with her. And they wake her up, and they say, where's Matthew? And she's like, what do you mean? And, and Rodney's like, he's out there watching cartoons. And I said, no, he's not. He's not out there. And Rodney said, but I left him out there watching cartoons, and he was drinking a bottle. And, and they were like, well, he's not there. And then now remember, Bobby Jordan's still in the house. Okay? So they said, but they said, did you ask Bobby? And said, yeah. They asked Bobby, and Bobby said he hadn't seen him. And that he took the garbage out at like 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, something like that, and he hadn't seen the baby. He assumed... Bobby assumed that the baby was still sleeping in his crib. Talking about Matthew, baby Matthew. Well, guess what? He wasn't. And that's when they started looking for the baby, and they noticed the rear door on 
the home was slightly ajar. But they can't find the baby. They look around outside. They're calling his name. You know, he's 22 months old, y'all, in a diaper and a T-shirt. And it's hotter than shit outside. And you got field across the street and field in the back and a long ways to the woods, really rare. You got a couple neighbors. Nobody's seen the baby. That's when April, the the niece, decides to call Robin Populous and say, Hey, did you did you come pick Matthew up and didn't tell us? Well, no, what the hell are you talking about? She didn't say, What the hell? What are you talking about? Well, we can't find him. We can't find him. She said, What do you mean we can't find him? We looked everywhere, we can't find him. We can't find him. Shit. She done what any proper parent would have done. They hung up and she called 911. So that, now they're taking the initial statement from Evelyn. She's very distraught. And Rodney was in the room, and he kind of they they didn't formally interview him or anything or any of the kids at this point, other than just the general. That's what the consensus was that Rodney went out to wash the car. Decided he, he's twelve years old. Decided he wasn't going to wash the car, but he moved it, and. We don't know where Bobby Jordan was at this point, uh, other than he took the trash out at some time that morning. And that's it, right? And so the detectives are called. Now, and this by this time, God and everybody's showing up, okay? And Linda would use the house phone to call in and, and talk to Kearney and say, hey, look, we got a shit show here. And, and it's either going to be an abduction or maybe the baby did wander off, but I'm looking at the terrain around the house and there's no barefoot baby going to get very far. I mean, it's a long ways in this pastures and shit. And, and you know, I, I just don't, something's not right. And then she said, oh, I'll tell you this. She said that the that rear door that was slightly ajar, she went to it and it was closed at that time when she went to it. She went to it and she went to open it and pull it open. And guess what? It was hard. It was like the door didn't fit, like it was swollen or something, and it was hard for her to pull it open. So the the notion that a 22-month-old pulled that door open by himself, that shit didn't happen, okay? So she's calling in. She's like, listen, boss, we got a shit show. And either way, either the baby is legitimately missing and um, we got to find him because he's going to die in the heat now. And, y'all, it's like by this time, it's it's noon. And it's like 99 degrees. But with the humidity in south Louisiana, it makes you feel like you're underwater where you can't breathe. And the sun's out and it's baking. I promise you the heat index is like 110. So Kearney, Mr. Kearney, then calls Willie Graves who at the time, y'all, was chief deputy. Uh, oh, no, he was chief criminal deputy. And, and so Willie has to line out the troops. He knows it's going to be a search for the missing baby. Kearney has to line out detectives. They know we've got to look at this case from all angles. All right, so that's starting to happen. The first thing that happens is God and everybody's showing up on scene, wanting to help. Remember I told you about the scanners. In that first day, they had so many people show up. It was Sheriff Graves at the time, or when I learned of the story, when we talked about it, 
He said that you know, by the time he arrived on the scene, there was cars parked so far down, up and down George White, you couldn't even find a place to park, all right? That uh, people were coming from everywhere to help search for this baby. Well, what do you do? You got to organize. You just can't let them go trampsing around in case it's a crime scene. I mean, so that's going on. Fire departments have showed up. An ambulance has showed up in case somebody has heat stroke. I mean, they, now they're doing an all-call for every, everybody to come. They're organizing the search. That's a big fucking deal, okay? And logistically, it's a big deal because it, the location really rural in the middle of nowhere. The heat is a factor. The time is such a huge factor, but you can't let time overrun your investigation and mess things up. But err on the side of caution the first thing you can do before you investigate the case is you got to see if you can find the baby, right? Maybe it did wander off. Maybe it did go out the door and go across the field or whatever. So everybody's called. All, all deputies that were off duty were called in. All the fire departments, all these volunteers showed up. Eventually, the news media would have showed up. This, I'm talking about the local, y'all. Now, this is before cell phones were readily available. Pagers were the thing at the time. Internet, almost non-existent. I can promise you internet service and um, and cell service where they were on Georgia White Road didn't fucking exist, okay? So, but you st still, word of mouth, the grapevine, the good old grapevine, shit spreading like fire. Everybody's showing up. So, Sheriff's Office is trying to get a hold on it. And they also, they call it in the state police helicopter. They also call it in blood tracking dogs from Dictional Correctional Institute or D Department of Correction, but DCI had the best ones at the time and probably would have been the closest. So they're calling in all these resources. Now, Mr. Kearney would have put a call in to the FBI because it's a missing baby. Just put them on standby. Hey, we got this. We don't know anything that's going on yet. Just, you know, let y'all know because it's Friday. I know y'all about to get the shit out the office, right? And it said they let, let the FBI know. Everybody responds in including all the Texas, uh, Chuck Watts and, and Benita and Pat Haley and Murphy Martin and Mr. Kearney and whatever, and they would start to work the case. Uh, they they talked to the neighbors across the street. Neighbors, not direct across the street, talked to the neighbors across the street, and one neighbor said, yeah, I did see the car pulled in at an angle, like a funny angle, like you, you when it was pulled in to the carport, it was pulled in such as that you couldn't see who was, if anybody was in the driver's side or not. So that, but I, but I, I thought that was weird because she never parked the car there and, and what have you, right? So they're starting to talk to people, starting to do the search. They, they, they spread out in a search grid, helicopters going above, uh, you know, flying above and going around, and then they, they just start searching. Okay, and then everybody comes, and then it's just, you know, a big, big deal. They would search into the night. I'm going to start with the search part first. They would search into the night. That first night, one of the neighbors said that they, the, the last flashlight they saw in the woods was around 4, after 4 a.m. in the morning, okay? There were hundreds of people that showed up. As they showed up and volunteered, one of the, the sheriff's office deputies would have, Gave it to whoever was, there was no command center, y'all, at the time. No mobile command center that we ran shit out of or anything like that. It was, it was just been them on the scene. Yeah, but they would have been, you know, 
assign to somebody in an area to start searching. So what they what do they do? They go around the house. Start. I mean, you can see the baby's not in the field across the house. You can see the baby's not in the field directly behind the house. But law enforcement, you know, looks around the house. First of all, they search the shit out of the inside of the house. There's no signs. The detectives search the inside of the house. There are no signs of blood spatter or trauma or, you know, gunshot casings, none of that stuff's in the house. But they're also they look for the baby, right? Remember Jean Bonnet? She was in the house the whole time. So they would have cleared the house. And the um, outside, the searchers, including and somewhat I would assume supervised by law enforcement, start going around the edges of the areas that you can't already see. All right. Then you you go through the fields. You know that grass was a little bit high. You can go make sure he's not out there. You got the helicopter above. You got the dogs come. They start and and. But there's where do you look? Where do you go? Meanwhile, Evelyn's inside, crying and carrying on the whole time. And the baby's daddy actually showed up. I don't think. He and Robin were together at the time, and he's distraught, right? Everybody's distraught. Searchers are looking, and the the response, like one of the funeral homes, because of the heat, they sent out their big tents, right, so people could have shelter from the tent. People brought tables and chairs. People brought, like, Winn-Dixie, donated food, L&W, which is a little store there, and Holden, you know, donated food, and it Different places sent food, and, and one of the neighbors they let them use her cordless phone as kind of a command ops thing, you know. And uh, somebody called in at one time and said, you know, what, what do y'all need? You need food. And she said, like, no, we got plenty of food out here, but we're running low on drinks. Said this dude shows up 45 minutes later, truck full of cases of Cokes and stuff and 25 bags of ice, all right? So everybody's looking can't find nothing. They said they looked under every piece of tin. They looked in every septic tank. They looked in every ditch. They looked in falling down trees. One searcher actually thought he had found the baby. If, if, if there was like a freshly disturbed spot in the earth, this one guy came uh, across this freshly covered up hole, if you will, and he starts to dig through it, and he smells rotten. And he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. They call everybody over there thinking it's going to be Matthew Populous, and then they uncovered, and it was just some somebody's dog that they had buried, right? Definitely wasn't the baby. They can't find him. So I'm going to get into the investigation next week, but you, you heard the initial statements from uh, – now, George – the, the common-law husband, it was confirmed that he left for work at 5.30 that morning, okay? Bobby Jordan said he had never he woke up, he never saw the baby in the living room, period. Yes, he went outside around 7.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning, took the trash out or whatever. Uh, Rodney, the 12-year-old, says he moved the car in and out of the uh, carport, whatever you want to call it. It's not a garage. And mom says she never got her ass out of bed, right? She had her tubes reversed. And that's it. Can you imagine 
Can you imagine what the baby's mama and daddy were thinking? Now this hot, hot July day starts to turn into dusk. The mosquitoes are coming out. You got hundreds of people out there. Flashlights come on. Bloodhounds are barking in the distance. Helicopters flying overhead. Deputies' radios going off. They didn't have the earpieces back then. You could hear everything that was said. People were calling in things. The helicopters calling in suspicious things from the air, and people were responding to it. Deputies were responding to it to check that location, right? Everything. Everybody's looking. And then it gets dark. Now you're 22-month-old. You have to really, really consider the possibility of abduction at this point from a detective standpoint. But you also got to start from where the baby was last seen. And I know Mr. Kearney and them were doing their job. And at some point, he calls in the FBI for real. It's like um, after he got on the scene and listened to the stories and saw all the stuff and just had that gut feeling, mm, this dog will hunt. Turns in the dark. Search goes on. News media is everywhere now, too. And it goes on and on all through the night. Nothing. Next morning, searches come back out. This time, the sheriff's office is a little more organized. They even have, like, stakes with ribbons on it for, you know, for the searches when they're out in an area. If they've been through an area already, they put the stake in the ground saying that this area has been searched, right? Uh, I mean, it's a massive deal, y'all. And that shit, that whole area around Holden didn't have as many people as they had out there They're searching. Uh, the next day, not only did they have helicopters and dogs, they uh, uh, had a civil patrol aircraft. They had, I mean, uh, Sheriff Gray said, Willie said, they, they used every resource in looking for Matthew. He said, it, he, he, except the space shuttle. But they looked, and they looked. Another hot, hot July day. All day long, the search goes on. Turns dark, nothing. All night long, nothing. Third day, search goes on. Now, National media. By the second day, the national media had showed up, and Tina Stafford Pierce. And now, she told me. She said, "Well, I'll never forget it." She said, "Willie called me down on on the second day and was like, holy and Willie didn't cuss, but holy said, Tina, I need you to stay up here through the rest of this investigation, or until we find this baby." He said, "You look outside." She said, "They had his own like back door. Looked outside around a courthouse. She said there was not a spot available." that didn't have a national media news truck in it. The whole courthouse was surrounded. In fact, Miss um, Doris, who also worked in the Texas office when I was there, she said, Tina said Miss Doris was in Florida on vacation, like in Destin or somewhere, and, and the next day they saw it on the news. All right? Now, remember, we didn't have the Internet and Facebook and, and all that bullshit, but they saw it on the national news. So it's now national news in nothing 
search goes on for a full four days. Nothing. And then to the fifth day, when the direction of the search turned, and I'll tell you about that, start on the next week. If you can imagine the time, 1994, the heat, the drama, and certainly it just like proven in the flood of 2016 and aftermath of Katrina and stuff like that, the people living in Paris are the best in the world as far as I'm concerned. And I know I've been on searches, believe me, like for Caitlin Adel and different ones where everybody comes out and all the businesses contribute stuff and everybody wants to help. And guess what? Sometimes the people that help are the ones that did the damage or were the ones that were responsible for the person, or in this case, baby Matthew populace being missing. So I have to break the story up into parts, y'all, because I have every single detective report. I have every supplement. I have Miss Linda's original report, you know, the 911 call. I'm, I'm going to put all that up. As I do it week by week, and I mention these documents in passing, I'm going to put them up on the Patreon only page on Facebook. So you'll have that, but I'm going to do it week by week. Now, that there's, I want to explain to you that why I'm doing it the way I'm doing it. The search, I mean, what if it was your baby, right? And you're having to suffer this whole time, and you don't know if he's abducted, you don't know if he's dead somewhere or whatever, but you damn sure know he isn't alive this long by on his own. You know, five days, no way. July, middle of July, late now, almost late July now. Third week of July, heat, mosquitoes, snakes, it ain't happening. But for the as a detective, you bet your ass they didn't, they never stopped working it. But you can only go as far as you can go. And we'll get into that next week. Again, breaking it up in series because this story needs to be told. I can't believe this the story. And then and now y'all going to go research it, and that's fine. But what you read is not all the knowledge that I have, okay? I have a whole lot more than what's out there. I have the actual file, the court case files. I have everything. Not only that, I've got inside knowledge from the officers that were there. And, and when this sugar turns to shit, and that story is the most horrible one. When I get done telling you, it'll be the most horrible one that you've ever heard. So I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I'm going to break it down step by step, and that's it. All right. That's it. I'm going to conclude this uh, episode of Nanny Knot. Y'all, you know, I'm wrong and scripted. I did read, you know, through some of the case file stuff, and I've been trying to figure out how to put it together. So just bear with me. Just bear with me. All right. All right, so real life, real crime. The again, thank you all for liking us and and sharing us with your friends and your neighbors and and all that. Love continue to grow. It's obvious, and it's it's not because we have a big advertising budget or anything like that. But we're definitely not a big production company. But our numbers go up every day. New listeners and and I appreciate you. Thank you so so much. On that note. The People's Choice 2021 People's Choice Podcast Awards.
if you would go to www.podcastawards.com and take a minute. You have to enter your email and make up a password, and they'll let you in to vote. Okay, the Real Life Real Crime, me, we're nominated under several different categories. Okay, the voting is only open from July 1 until the last day of July, all right, for the people's choice. So if, if you'll go to www.podcastawards.com, and it'll be in the show notes, and take a minute, enter your email address. You can only, I know your life has loved me. My God, I've seen everything you did in Courtney Coco's case, and when I did a call to action or whatever, and I, <laughs> y'all will melt some phone lines. But listen, you can only vote from one email at a time. I mean, you can't use the same email twice, okay? So you go in. You put in your email, you put in your name. I ask you, would you like to be considered as a judge for the finalist? And I'll explain that in a second. You check yes or no, and then it brings you to the categories. And there's a bunch of categories, but I am under best male host. You can scroll down and, and see my name under best male host. And also Jim Chapman, my good buddy from Local Leaders Podcast, y'all. He's under the same category if you want to vote for him. But then... Jim Chapman is also under uh, Best Business po- Podcast. And if, if you're going to go vote for me, take your time to vote for him. He's a local guy. He's done a lot for uh, Real Life, Real Crime. So scroll down under Business, and you'll see local leaders. Click on that. But uh, other categories I'm nominated under are for Best True Crime Podcast. Okay, so if you go click on True Crime Podcast, scroll down, click Real Life, Real Crime. And I'm also under storytelling and drama, which is what I wanted for y'all the last time. So if you could click on me for that, all right? And and then they have a spot for who's the most influential podcaster, and, and um, you can vote for me for that or not. I don't, it doesn't matter. So if you take a moment and, and please go vote, it means a lot to us. It means it, I mean, it's, it's, they're the oldest podcast award. They've been around for 16 years and it's a very prestigious thing, and I really would appreciate a life if you get, if you go and give me a vote, and when you're in there, vote for Jim Chapman also under best best business and best mail. But I appreciate that. And the when the voting closes at the end of July, what they do is the podcast committee that makes up this board. First of all, they're gonna throw out any anybody that used the same email twice. You're wasting your time. That or and they. They make sure nobody's using robots or whatever it's called to to uh, plug the votes and shit like that, and they throw out anybody that's bad. And then you get your finalists, okay? Now, last time I was nominated in three categories, and I made the finalists in two of them, and then I went in one, right? So they, they're going to come out with the list of the finalists. Well, the public doesn't... It's not a mass public vote after that point, but when you sign up... Remember, I told you they asked you, "Do you would you like to be considered for a judge for the finalists?" What they do is, I think they take like two thousand people, random people out of all these podcasts, y'all, and shit. That's a lot of them. And you know, podcasts. When I started uh, two years ago, there were eight hundred thousand in the world. Now there's almost two million. So they'll take two thousand people or so out out of this randomly selected pool, and they ask them to listen to the finalists in, the, in, in these different categories, and they pick the winner. And that's how I won People's Choice before for drama and storytelling, okay? The the popular vote got me to the two finalists in 
the independent judges of, of people, regular people, not podcasters, and, uh, did it. So anyway, that's it. I appreciate that. Now, live shows. Lachine Brewery, Denham Springs, Louisiana, on July the 25th. I'm going to be there from 4 to 8 p.m. It's a Sunday afternoon, y'all. We're getting together. It's no charge, nothing to get in. Lachine's putting it on. My buddy, Mickey Watson, who owns Buddy's Barbecue. Y'all hear me talk about it all the time. It's my jam. That's my go-to food. They're going to be doing the food. So, Lachine's going to be serving all the world's best. You know, they, they do all the everything in-house there. They brew it. They bottle it. Uh, you can get it off the tab. You can get, they actually can can it for you. If, if you like something, you can take it home. Great beer. I'm going to be there. Buddy's Barbecue is going to be there. Their food is fire. Uh, Mickey Watson, I hope you bring some smoked cracklings for me. But anyway, the I'm going to be there from 4 to 8. When the doors open at 4, I'll be there from 4 to 8. If you want to come in, drink a beer with me, take a picture, I'll sign autographs, whatever y'all want to do. doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be there hanging out. We want to pack it with lifers. This is more of a thank you. And I know a lot of y'all didn't get to come to the Crew Bash for whatever reason. Some people couldn't afford it, and I get that. Uh, or he couldn't come. It was Father's Day weekend. I get that. Um, but this is chance. If you want to come say hello and, and hang out with me, I'd appreciate it. So that's July 25th, the Shen Brewery, 4 to 8, on that Sunday with Buddy's Barbecue and the the guys at the Shen that make it. Now, look, the Shen is kid-friendly and it's dog-friendly. They got this big outdoor area. They got games, uh, you know, like a life-size tic-tac-toe or whatever. So, it's, you know, it's a, they were gonna, they're also going to have live music, so come check it out. It's going to be cool. August the 14th, Arlington, Texas. Now, y'all, our number one listener base inside the United States, believe it or not, more than Louisiana, is Dallas, Texas. Okay? So we decided to do a show in Dallas. I decided to do a show in Dallas for the people who couldn't make it to the crew bash. Now, look, we had a lot. Like 60-something people, I think, from Dallas came to the Crew Bash, which was awesome. But there's a lot more who couldn't come. But guess what? When I was talking to one of the lifers about it on Facebook, and, and I said, look, you know what? I'll come to Dallas and do a live. I just need a place. Well, they, they said this place, Legal Draft Beer Company is an awesome venue. They have the host receptions there and all this stuff. It's kind of like Lachine that we're going to on uh, July 25th. But this is owned by lawyers, and all their beers are named after different legal things, you know, whether it's court cases or arrests, whatever. But the the beer and the wine and champagne is all supposed to be fine, but it's also supposed to be a really cool place to do a live, intimate show. And this is from the lifers. And so we worked out a deal with them for me to, to show that actually we're going to be closed that Saturday evening, but they're going to open the doors at 6.30 p.m., VIPs. There's 75 VIP tickets. The VIPs will get in an hour early and get to choose their seat, okay? And take a picture with me and meet and greet and I'll sign whatever. And then uh, the general public, the rest of the tickets, which, y'all, it's a small venue. It's an intimate venue. It's 200 people. So the other 125 get to come in at 730. I'm probably going to take the stage about 830 and I'm going to do an interactive podcast and it's going to be, we're going to be drinking and we're going to have a good time, and I'm not going to have a filter on, and you're going to help me do the podcast if you're in the crowd, okay? And so uh, once I get done, 
I'm going to get down and sign autographs and do the same thing until they kick us out, period. So, um, I, which I think their closing time is 1130 or something like that. So, but the, that's Arlington, Texas. We have a hotel room. It's a Hilton Garden Inn on Lamar where real life real crime has blocks set aside at a special rate. It's like $50 off what the normal rate is. I think it's like 129 or something like that. But the code is RLRC. If you book coming in from out of town, we got we got people already coming from Louisiana to see the show in, in Dallas or Arlington, uh, wherever you call it. Anyway, so if you want to book a room, I'm staying both nights. I'm, we're going to get there on Friday, do some Friday night. I don't know what yet. And then uh, Saturday, I'm going to do the show. But Hilton Garden Inn on Lamar, you use the code RLRC, and it gives you like 50 bucks off the room, okay? And... It's going to be an awesome show, you, like nothing you've never seen Woody Overton do before. Then on, let's fast forward and take it over east a couple of states to Tennessee. Now we got fans all over Tennessee, but Memphis is the first place I'm going to do a live show at, okay? And on September, I think it's September the 25th, High Tones, H-I-T-O-N-E-S. It's rated as the number to live music vent venue to play in the city of Memphis. So those tickets, now you talk about small, the I think this was 200, 150 or 200 people in just all general admission, $35 a piece to get in. I'm sorry, the on the uh, the show in in uh, Dallas Arlington is is it's $60 for the VIP. That gets you in the hour earlier. Free headshot also, something for me to sign for you and the meet and greet, et cetera. And I think the regular tickets are 35 y'all, but it's eventbrite.com. Memphis, Tennessee, high tones, legendary place to, to get to do a show at. And one of the lifers I talked to from there, she said, that is, that is my jam. She said, that's my place. I love it. She said, but it's, it is small. It's intimate. And, you know, you're going to be in the face of the crowd. So that's great because I'm going to do it interactive podcast or interactive real life, real crime, you know, and hell, we, you know, we're calling and talking to these places about booking. They, some of them don't even know what a podcast is, right? They were like, Oh, so you're going to record a podcast on the stage. I'm like, no, I'm going to get on the stage and tell a funny ass story, right? Or a serious, but funny story. And we're going to drink and have a good time. But long story short, high tones, I think it's September 25th. I do not have any hotel information for that one yet. Y'all it's a little bit further out. And finally, the, oh, those, those tickets, you can buy them right now on Eventbrite, and you got to get them because they're already selling. I just did the announcement uh, last night. You, you'll get this recording in about a week, but I did the announcement last night, and we already sold some. So, But that one's going to sell out fast. Then on the next, the third annual Crew Bash is back when it's supposed to be in February. The Crew Bash, K-R-E-W-E. That's the Louisiana Mardi Gras term, and that's why – when I name the group Real Life, Real Crime, Friends, Fans, and Crew, K-R-E-W-E, that was because it was a Louisiana term. And we did the first crew bash. It, it was on my birthday. It was to celebrate my birthday, celebrate Mardi Gras, celebrate uh, a million downloads, and you know me winning you know, Podcast of the Year Award and stuff like that, People's Choice Award. And the second one, I had to put it off because of COVID. Otherwise, it would have been last February when we just had it. We rocked it out at the Texas Club. It was amazing. But 
we turned around and scheduled this one for February 5th, which is my birthday. And guess what? It's going to be at the Texas Club again, Lifers, and that is like the coolest place in the world as far as I'm concerned. It was professional. Everybody had, you know, it was packed, but everybody uh, had a good time and, and, you know, just really, really special. But uh, it's February 5th, but on February 4th, if you buy a VIP ticket, which is going to be 60 bucks, on February 4th, we're having a private party. I think we're going to cap it at 150 people, y'all, on the VIP at Happy's Irish Pub uh, in downtown Baton Rouge on 3rd Street, which is right a, a half a block from the Hilton Hotel, which I've, again, secured rooms for, for lifers there. You go to book your room. They gave us a massive discount. It's Mardi Gras time. you got to remember that in winter. So more people are going to be down there. So it was like $20 more than what it, what it was last time. But it's like 60 or $70 cheaper than what their rate is supposed to be at that time of the year. Hilton, fabulous place. All the lifers came in last time to stay there. I mean, I, I think we had more than 60-something rooms uh, booked out just at the Hilton. So I'm at Friday night, private VIP event, the $60 ticket gets you into that. It's a, it, we're gonna This time we're going to keep happy. So instead of having it for three hours, we're going to have it the whole night. And then we're going to have our own DJ, our own music play. And I'm going to get there. We'll you know, get to hang out. Last time, it was super cool. I got to meet everybody, sign everybody's stuff. And then I got to throw down for a little while before they, um, our time ran out. But this time, the VIP event is going to be VIP. And if you're going to stay at the Hilton, use the code RLRC. That's February 4th and 5th. Or you can just say the 5th. On the 5th. The VIP, you're going to get in a half an hour early at the Texas Club so you can get your positioning wherever you want. That's in addition to the private party the night before. And then I'm going to do, uh, everybody's going to get in in about an hour later. I'm going to take the stage just like last time. I'm going to do a never-before-heard podcast and rock the stage, and we're going to do a, another fundraiser for Lopa. And at the end of my podcast or my show, We'll, we'll do the presentation for Lopa, and then I'm going to go upstairs and sign autographs and, and take pictures like I did last time until – and then Chase Tyler Band, his graces, but, you know, but doing it again. He's going to take the stage, two-time Louisiana Music Hall of Fame inductee. If you were there for the past one, you saw the concert, and, you know, it's going to be badass. So, y'all, those tickets are on sale, Eventbrite, $40.00 for general admission, $60 for the VIP. Get them. It's going to sell out. I know it's way to seven months away, but I'm just letting you know now. So it's a lot of commercials. I get that. I, I got to talk about it, y'all. And I got to tell you, thank you, because I really did mean it from the bottom of my heart. The you know, patron members, I love you. If you can't be a patron member, I get it. Moo, Discord, uh, I'm working more towards that. I love y'all. Um, also, the last, last but not least, our Real Life Real Crime app, the beta version. You should, the people that have volunteered to be a part of the testing program, y'all should already be having it. And hopefully, by the time you get this episode, or at least the next one, by the time you get it, the Real Life Real Crime app will be live and active, and it's going to be free. You go to the Apple Store and download it. Why are we doing it? Because we get to bring everything underneath one umbrella. 
the the website, the store, tickets in the future, all that uh, Patreon, all that stuff is going to be under our own app. And the deal, like uh, you know, we're over thirty five thousand members on one Facebook page. Hell, y'all got like six or seven of them. I can't even really keep up with all the messages from the different places. That's without Instagram and all that. But this app is going to allow me to have everything in one place. And I have professionals in place. If you got a problem with the tier thing, it's got to be handled. And guess what? If, I'll never have to say again, if, if we owe you something or you know, schedule your phone call or whatever, this app's going to do it for you. It's all going to be done and, and all be automated. Uh, plus, we get to have our own page on there. We can say whatever the hell we want to, not get uh, put in Facebook jail. So anyway, that's pretty exciting. I'm very excited. We've been working on that for a long time. A lot of work's gone into it, and it's because we love y'all, and we appreciate you. And I've said enough for today. Two more things. One, Miss Barbara Blunt, please continue calling your tips. I have not forgotten. I have not stopped. And and I just can't tell you what I know, but things are working, okay? Uh, Justin for Cordy Coco, as always, and being a hero, being an organ donor, Sign up for LOPA. Go to LOPA.org and register to be an organ donor and save lives. All right. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by You. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Template.